and welcome. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's week weekly uncertainty video. Brent and I usually record this together, but Brent's, I like to say that Brent's off uh, enjoying getting some time off and, and catching up on some rest. But as you all know, it's harvest it's harvest time for him as well. So he's probably catching some extra time uh, in the combine this morning as I'm recording it here on Friday, October the 2nd. Wow, what a what a week it's been. Sometimes we do this and been mostly treading water since last week. And then other times we hop in here and it's not sure how we're going to how we're going to cover it all. So I want to start off and mention a few articles that are new to the website that I think are important to for you to read. Go check out. These are on the AEI premium side in the deeper dive. The first one, uh, this is a story that we're going to see play out, especially over the fall months, is fertilizer prices have turned down lower. We like to track fertilizer, kind of a hypothetical fertilizer expense for a fertilizer blend of 180 770 And when you combine all the, the latest price data from the month of September, we can see that these prices are lower than we saw back in the spring, the lowest levels we've seen with these estimates going back to 2010. So Again, this is going to be good news for producers as they start to look at their budgets. Maybe there's some opportunities to lock in the prices, but I think it's also reflective of the corn budget needing to be competitive here as we think about the 2021 crop situation, especially as soybeans have seen a pretty big uptick in their their prices recently. So nitrogen prices are down the lowest. We're going to keep an eye on this data. And hydrogen has been around $500 a ton throughout most of 2020, which was, you know, among the lowest levels we've seen, but they've still lowered about 430 a ton. So we're going to keep updating this data, encourage you to follow along. We'll probably get a forecast network question here in a few weeks. Another topic that I dug into this week, we have a forecast network question about that soil health and income protection program SHIP. This is sort of a CRP light. It's a short-term CRP program. There's an emergency version of SHIP that could be up to 5 million acres. And that's been floating around in the House bill for the stimulus. And so it it got included in the the latest updates of what the House passed earlier this week. And there's a lot of, I guess, uh, quick response, sort of like a knee-jerk reaction a lot of times in agriculture against supply management programs. And one of the things I want to point out this week is that it's sort of our uh, job as economists to consider alternatives. And so on one end of the spectrum, we have this narrative that the farm economy is being largely propped up over the last few years with these large ad hoc payments. And so this week we took a look at, you know, what's sort of been the price of some of those programs. We have $40 billion in net farm income this year, almost 70% of that, more than 70% of that is ad hoc. We took a look at the MFP program. That was about $23.4 billion spread out over two years. And for comparison, right, we want to talk about comparisons. The CRP program cost $2.2 billion per year, so about 4.4 on a two-year basis. And that's a program that effectively idles 24 million acres. And I think the reason why we put this together is it's really important to step back and think about all the positives and all the negatives when we're evaluating these. And sometimes the narrative only focuses on the negatives of some programs. And generally speaking, programs like we've had recently have a lot of positives. And we'll outline this in a future story, but they're effective, they're fast, they can be deployed as needed pretty quickly. They may announce a program, usually within a month or so, those checks funds are available. They have a quick impact on the producer's income statements or balance sheets. They can be very expensive. And I think this is the conversation that foreign policy is going to have to think about is 
these ad hoc programs have been very expensive. We've seen direct payments hit record highs, and that's one of the downsides of these. And so I think supply management programs like CRP or the SHIP program, I did some back of the envelope calculations. It strikes us that this 5 million acre SHIP program suggestion or proposal that the house is floating around is probably going to cost around $1.5 billion for the program's three-year run, which is about you know 6% of the 23 billion dollars we spent on two years of MFP. And so I think this is going to start to be a conversation that gets very serious. I don't know when, the timing's always up in the air, but we start thinking about farm policy off into the future. I think the current deficit spending that we see in the country is going to start to be a drag or something that we're going to think about a lot. Another thing I want to encourage you to do is, wow, Congress has a lot of items and action items on their plate. So keep an eye on Congress. With the latest news coming out about the COVID-19 situation in the White House, I think we're in the early days of information as I'm recording this on the morning of October 2nd on Friday. I wouldn't say we're at peak uncertainty, but we have a lot of uncertainty around all that. So keep an eye on Congress. I kind of think the possibility of another stimulus coming, uh, another round of stimulus, the probability of that occurring before the election might have went up a little bit. I, I don't know. We'll need to keep an eye on that, but we'll have to see how all this plays out. We've mentioned earlier, Congress has just a really big workload ahead of them in the next two months, and we'll see what happens. But a stimulus is on one side of that. I think that's important to keep in mind. And of course, they have that continuing resolution that we've got to keep in mind early in December, which will be important for a lot of ag-related issues. Shifting gears a little bit, man, the USDA came out and surprised, I guess, the end of September surprise. A lot of surprises this week. Ending stocks were tighter than expected, tighter than what had been anticipated in earlier reports, but also beating the trade expectations. So commodity markets jumped up quite a bit. We saw a pretty quick response to the positive for both corn and soybeans. Again, this is trending with what Brent and I have been talking about, sort of starting to piece together a little bit of narrative, a little bit of good news. The last few years of the commodity markets have been super negative, I guess. And so I think it's important to recognize we're starting to see some good news. Now, next week, next Friday on the 9th is the next WASDE report. And kind of in, t- in tangent with that report will be the next round of yield updates. And we have two questions about this October WASDE report. The first one is the probability of corn yields being above 177 bushels per acre. As a reference point, that's the trend yield number. As a second reference point, the September WASDE estimate was 178.5. So what's the probability of it coming in above 177? I'm at 67% probability. Get in there, log your forecasts. Uh, get a, this is a quick question. You can get some points on the board. The second question here is what's the probability of soybean yields getting above 51 bushels per acre? Trend is about 49, 49.5 or 49.9. I don't remember the top of my head. The September estimate was 51.9. I'm at a 50-50 probability. I'm not going to share the consensus quite yet. It's pretty early. These questions is open, but get in there, share your expectations, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. Of course, we'll get that scored next week. But this brings us an important reminder point in this. You know, we're going to see a lot of yield estimates and forecasts and a lot of people out with big models making forecasts. And that's a really valuable exercise. But as individuals, unless we have a model, we should be thinking about, you know, the probabilities of the yields coming in above or below trend or above or below last time's estimate. We should also be thinking, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to be making our own point estimates because we can't really judge how well we've done, right? We're going to be guaranteed to be wrong. It's just how do we interpret that? So probabilities are one way of doing that. 
The other way is last month, Brent and I played Laden Thinks. That's a really important way of thinking about uncertainty and really teasing out what information is knowable. So keep an eye on that. The last thing I want to point out, and this came up a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's worth sharing again in light of some of the latest news we have, some of the uncertainty that's going on out there is when is the room just room temperature? I am, I guess this analogy that I like to think about is if you set the temperature in your house at 70 degrees and you walked outside and you had a t-shirt on and it was snowing, there was snow on the ground, it was full-blown blizzard. And you had to spend 15 minutes out there. When you walked back into that house, it would feel really warm. It would feel really good. Conversely, if you're in your 70 degree house and you walked out the other door and it was really hot, it was 115 degrees and super uh, warm southerly wind, you'd walk back in that house and you would feel cold. And I think that's a really important piece of information to keep in mind because it has huge implications of how there's different pieces of information, but the starting point matters and has a really big implication for how we interpret that. So thinking about the commodity markets, right? When you have a whole lot of bad news, and then all of a sudden you start to get some good news, which we've had some good news here in the commodity markets, an uptick in prevent plant in 2019. We've had these ending stocks get a little bit tighter. Yields aren't going to be as big as they were earlier anticipated in the growing season. We're putting together some positive pieces here. It's hard for us to really understand, um, oh, by the way, export stories to China and the rest of the world are positive. As this good news starts to come in, we have to realize it's on the backdrop of some pretty bad outlook. And so it's hard to really gauge as to like, okay, how good is this new good news? Is it really warm in this room? Is it really a, a bullish sentiment or is it just more bullish? Uh, and then we really have to weigh through that. So Howard Marks has this poor man's guide to a market assessment. This is really important for stepping back and scoring things up. Brent adapted one for us for land and, and the farm economy. This is really a helpful tool to sort of sit back and start to do an assessment, okay? And, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is that in light of the market news is we've got to step back and say, okay, where are we really at, right? Where, how does this, all this information really sort out itself? Because uh, it can be easy to get caught up in the positive news stories that are coming out of the news cycle or only the negatives. And that really starts to impact our decision and our thinking making. And one way we want to try to help is to give you tools to clarify that and help you navigate all of that. If you just think about, if you only look at one piece of information as each one comes in, you know, good news, good news, good news, good news, which is potentially where we are here in the grain markets, it might impact how we view the overall market. What we really need to be focused on is how does this new piece of information change our base level of expectations? And so this is where tools like Howard Marks' Poor Man's Guide to the Market Assessment are good. Um, you know, I'll share another quick story. The other way this plays out, this uh, room temperature thing is in sports. And I went to undergrad at Kansas State. A big rival, of course, was KU down the interstate. And if K-State barely won a football game against KU, that was a huge letdown for us K-State fans, right? We were, the expectations going into this game were that we were going to win, you know, and win pretty big. If we lost, of course, it'd be absolutely devastating. But the opposite was almost true in basketball, right? A K-State barely losing to KU in basketball was a good feeling. And if K-State won by even the tiniest fraction, of course, it was probably, at least when I was there, warranted storming the court. And again, the idea here is that our expectations or how we respond to news is heavily influenced by our prior expectations. And as we're trying to navigate a world that has a lot of news feeds and a lot of information that's 
coming at us at one time. It's important to not lose sight of what those expectations are and how that latest piece of news builds off those expectations. So I'm going to wrap it up this week. Again, thanks for watching putting your forecasts for the flash questions on that USDA report. Those will be closed next Friday. So hopefully you get a chance to listen to this before then get your forecast in. I, you know, of course I beat Brent last month on the Laden thinks. So I'm guessing he's uh, probably at home trying to devise a new way to beat me with Laden thinks comes November. I don't know. I still haven't got the prize from him. I've been waiting by the mailbox. I still haven't got my prize, but I encourage you to think critically about everything that's ahead of us. It's going to be a busy last quarter here for a lot of us. And thanks for tuning in and we'll see you all next week.